For those who remain, if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, as we continue our sermon series. Let's see here. If you need a page number, you'll find that in your outline. It's listed for, for both sets of our pew Bibles. Philippians chapter 1, you'll find it God's Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you can find yourself there, you'll know where to go. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. 12 through 18. Let's, let's hear the word of the Lord. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having, been confident, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed, pre- some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for it is life to us. We thank you that by it you illumine our path, and you give us direction and guidance. But Father, most of all, we thank you that in its pages we find our Savior, through whom we have salvation. We come as those who are weak. We come as those who are dependent upon you, that you would help us. Even as we look this morning at um, maintaining fidelity to the, to the Lord, maintaining the gospel message, and keeping the right perspective, Lord, help us. By your Spirit, change us from the inside out. We pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You know, history is full of stories of imprisonments that didn't go the way that those imprisoning had intended. Think about Nelson Mandela, South Africa. He was imprisoned for 27 years. And did you know he ended up being the president and overseeing national repentance over enforced segregation and racism? Or think about, this is one of my favorite stories of uh, Church of England bishops Hugh Latimer and, and Nicholas Ridley. They were strong Protestant, evangelical, before that word was used, evangelical bishops in the Church of England. And a new queen arose, uh, the bloody um, uh, Mary, the Queen Bloody Mary. She was called bloody because she killed a lot of saints. She killed a lot of Protestants. And these two bishops, Latimer and Ridley, were jailed because they believed the word of God ought to be read in the English and ought to be in every church. That's a pretty radical thought, isn't it? And they were jailed. And they failed to recant. They refused to go back on their commitment to the Lord and to what they believed. And do you know what happened to them? They were burned at the stake. Mr. Ridley was um, at the stake and he refused to Um, catch fire at great pain 
So Latimer turned to Ridley and he said, be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle. You get that reference? We shall this day light such a candle, and England, as I trust, shall never be put out. These two men went to their deaths because of their faith in the Lord. And do you know because of their deaths and the deaths of other martyrs, England became a very secure and sound Protestant country and by um, the empire growing, the gospel faith went forth. Or Perpetua and Felicity, these two female martyrs killed in 203 AD to celebrate the birthday of the emperor. One was pregnant, the other one was nursing a child. They were given chance after chance to turn their back on the Lord and they would not do it. And they too were martyred for their faith. They and 70 some odd million other believers since Christ's first coming have been martyred for their faith in Christ. There was a man named Tertullian, a great father of the faith, died in the 200s I believe. And he said, you know, the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That as men and women are martyred for the faith, as they are imprisoned, the exact opposite thing happens for which their prisoners want them uh, to do. The faith grows and it expands and God uses their situations for the advance of the gospel. This is what happens with Paul. In our text this morning, we find Paul in prison, most likely in Rome. He is most likely already appeared before the judge and we'll soon learn his verdict. Now we think that in this case he was acquitted and then um, imprisoned again later after a fourth missionary journey, though we're not entirely sure. Scripture's silent, but history would seem to say it happened. We don't know. This could have been the end. He certainly thought it might be the end, as we'll see next week. He said to live as Christ and to die as gain. He is waiting a verdict. But what was his response? Was it depression? Was it being downtrodden? Was it being pessimistic? No. Paul radically says, you know, what has happened to me has actually served for the expansion of the gospel. We're going to look this morning at three things we see in Paul's life. We're going to see how we see this in Paul's life. They're ultimately from Christ and how we might emulate them. The first is that Paul maintained his, his fidelity, his loyalty to the Lord in the face of, of imprisonment. The second thing we'll see is he maintained his gospel message. The third thing is that he maintained his eternal perspective. When we read in verse 12, the things that had happened to me, uh, this is an understatement of understatements, isn't it? Roman prison was awful. Uh, Prison certainly is is no uh, walk in the park these days. But in those days, if you didn't have someone helping you, you would starve. This is why when the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus and he came with provision, this this is huge for Paul. It meant that he could survive. It meant he had food to eat and provision and clothes and a cloak when it's cold. He said, what had happened to me, this is a huge understatement. It reminds me of Matthew chapter four. We read that, that Jesus has been in the wilderness and he's been fasting. He hasn't uh, eaten or drinking. That doesn't sound quite right. He hadn't, eat, he, he hadn't anything to eat or drink in a long time, in 40 days. And, uh, and what does the text say? He was hungry. That's quite an understatement, isn't it? 
he would have been curled up in the fetal position after 40 days. There, there is no shelter in the wilderness where he was. He was hungry. Paul had been through a lot. And if history is correct, he would, be through, he would go through more. 2 Corinthians gives us this litany of what um, he had been through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 40 was known to kill you. And so they would beat you 39 times and then leave the last lash up to the Lord, decided that he was going to kill you or not. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And what was Paul's response? As we looked at those illustrations of martyrdom to begin our time together this morning, at any time if those men and women had said, you know what, I'm done with this, I recant, I turn my back on the Lord, they most likely would have been freed. Paul most likely would have too. It could have all been over for Paul. But what does Paul do? He maintains his fidelity, his loyalty to the Lord. Why? Because he knows in the Lord, his life is hid. He knows that his life exists in the Lord, that he has been raised from the dead in the Lord, that he has been saved by the Lord. His life only makes sense as one who has been redeemed by the Lord. How could he turn his back on something that was his very life and salvation? The Philippians had seen this already in Acts chapter 16 and in Paul's first journey to Philippi, the founding of this church. We see that Paul and Silas had been beaten and imprisoned in a way that, that only the Roman citizens could not be imprisoned and beaten. And what is their response? We find in Acts 16 that they began singing and praying. Would this have been our response? I don't know. But Paul and Silas sung and they prayed out loud. The Lord was honored. Far from turning their backs on the Lord, they maintained their fidelity. Why? Because God gave them the grace to. You know, oftentimes when we talk to people and we say, we hear their horror stories and we might say something like, I could never go through that. I could never do that. I could never handle that. And and you know, in some ways you're right. Because God hasn't called you to what they're going through. But God gives you grace to deal with the things he is calling you to. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells you, he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. God had called Paul to a Roman prison, likely facing death, and he gave, God, and he gave Paul grace. And because he gave him grace, he maintained his fidelity, his loyalty to the Lord. The question I have for us in this first bit is, do we maintain our fidelity to the Lord? You know, I, I think in some ways, um, paying the ultimate price for Christ in our death is a moment that I would imagine many of us would do better at than those moments at the water cooler. I would imagine if someone came in here and said, do you believe in Jesus, yes or no, 
that most of us would answer correctly and we receive our eternal reward very quickly. I find the harder thing is maintaining fidelity to the Lord on those slippery slopes, under the pressure of peers, perhaps kids at school, when others are mocking your friend and you join in. I remember with great shame doing this as a child. And, uh, and my friend went running from my house in tears because I'd given into peer pressure and I hadn't maintained fidelity, loyalty to my Lord. I find it's probably easier to stand in the gap and in those final ultimate ways than perhaps in my thought life or in the secret places that no one sees. But we are called to maintain fidelity, loyalty to the Lord, which means to love, which means to stand for what he has said. It means to to live or die by his word in all situations. And just like God gave Paul, grace to remain faithful in this terrible moment of imprisonment. So the Lord gives us grace in those moments as well. Because see, the whole thing is based not on our strength. It's based on the Lord. We can never do things on our own. You know, I think, um, so tomorrow, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, it reminds us of the Revolutionary War. Do you know who the greatest traitor of all time was in American history? Someone tell me. Benedict Arnold. We all know this name from, uh, from our childhood. But do you know that before he was a traitor, he was a fantastic general? He was a major general in the Continental Army. He served with great honor at the Battle of Saratoga and other minor skirmishes. He was a great soldier. And then one day, he sold us out. He didn't remain faithful. What if Paul hadn't remained faithful? Hypotheticals aren't helpful in history. But praise the Lord, he didn't. The Lord gives us strength. Because see, as we think about the Lord, he did not abandon us. Did the Lord abandon Peter when he had denied him three times? No. Praise the Lord. Did our Savior deny? Did he abandon? Did he forsake his disciples? When time after time, they missed the picture. They missed the boat. They didn't know what was going on. Three times he told them, look, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed and be raised from the dead. And then when it came time for him to be killed and be raised from the dead, where were they? They ran. But he didn't abandon them. I love that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul's, you know, anytime we look at a hero of the Bible, it should ultimately point us to whom? It point us to Christ, who is the hero, the only hero of Scripture. Paul, yes, thank, praise the Lord, he was faithful, but ultimately we are reminded of Christ's faithfulness to us. His mercies really are new every morning. The second thing we see is that Paul maintained the gospel message. Look at 12 and 13 here. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. One commentator, I love this, said, you know, Paul didn't go to Rome. The gospel went to Rome. 
It invaded Rome. Now the gospel had already arrived there. There was already a thriving church in Rome. But do you know when Paul arrives, things changed, didn't they? So the Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard, depending on your translation, this would have been a unit of about 9,000 soldiers strong. This is a big unit. And they, they were tasked with many different things there in Rome, and they were tasked with guarding prisoners to guarding uh, Caesar himself. Now, think about how many political prisoners they had been tasked to oversee over the years. Think about how they had been treated all those years, how many times they had been cursed, how many times people had tried to bribe them, how many times people had tried to kill them. There's just no telling what they've gone through. And then all of a sudden, here is this meek, apparently not very good looking, um, almost blind, we think, probably, a guy that doesn't speak very well, and he's in prison, and he just has joy. He's not upset. He's not cursing them out. If he's doing what he was doing in Acts 16, he's, he's singing psalms. And he's praying out loud. And he's sharing the gospel with his neighbors. What do we do with this guy? One commentator said this, that um, the guards listened to him as he talked to friends who came to visit him or to a secretary to whom he dictated his letters or to his jailers or to a God in prayer or even to themselves. And so the news spread from guard to guard to the families of the guards, to Caesar's household, and thus to all the rest, the inhabitants of Rome in general. God used Paul's imprisonment for the progress, for the expansion of the gospel. Why? Because he was faithful to the Lord and he maintained his message throughout this. You can imagine the soldiers after work, they go around to the pub and they sit down for a, a nice frothy um, you know, goblet of, of wine or whatever they're drinking and they begin talking about you know, the strange prisoner Paul and they begin to talk about what he believes And the next thing you know, members of Caesar's household have been converted. We learned that in chapter four. This unit of 9,000 strong um, guards, apparently all of them from what the text, or virtually all of them, a great number of them heard the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment. Why? Because he was faithful to the message of the gospel. And do do we maintain fidelity to the gospel message as well? It is a struggle each and every day to remind ourselves of the gospel. Indeed, if we are to remain faithful to it, we must know it. We must know it intimately each and every day as we, as we battle our hearts and we battle our flesh, that it might be on our lips. Lord willing, we won't find ourselves in prison for the gospel, but if, if we do, he'll give us grace. Whatever situation we find ourselves in daily, are we, are we faithful to the gospel message? Paul was in prison and people became Christians. How about in the line at, uh, at Walmart? or the courthouse, or the post office. Family reunions, funerals, weddings, family time at home, do we maintain the the message of the gospel and do others hear it from our lips? You heard it from somebody's lips at some point in your life and the Lord gave you faith and repentance and therefore called you his own. The same thing happened in that prison in Rome. May it happen in our city as well. Well, here's the thing, Christ maintained his gospel message too. That seems somewhat silly even to say. I mean, of course he did. But you think about what happened on the cross. As they nailed him to the cross, with blood pouring down his face, with his, uh, with his people around him, 
cursing him. What were the words he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was faithful to the message to the uttermost. Well, the third thing is that Paul maintained his perspective. I feel that I I fail at this a lot. Do you fail at this a lot? That when trials come your way, when things are are, are, um, not going quite as you had hoped, things are difficult, family issues, job issues, um, financial issues, whatever it is, do you maintain perspective? Here is Paul in prison expecting to die. And he said in, in, uh, in the next uh, passage we'll look at, we'll look at it next week, Lord willing, and the week after, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That word gain there is economic gain. It is, it is best for his bottom line, his profit margin, that he would die and go be with Jesus. He maintained his eternal perspective. I wonder if we do the same. The big picture for Paul was the progress of the gospel. There were a couple things going on here that um, he really needed to keep the perspective for. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This phrase, bold to speak the word without fear, means to to speak almost brashly, without inhibition, um, completely without fear. The implication is they hadn't been. Remember, Rome was a city with a Christian church by this point. Uh, and apparently it was doing pretty well. It was seeming to grow. Paul had always desired to go to Rome to visit it. He had written it. We have that letter. That's what we call Romans. And he hadn't anticipated going in bonds, but he did. Now, when he arrives, there are already Christians there. And so when Paul shows up, something about his imprisonment had caused them to fear Perhaps persecution had gotten worse now that Paul had begun speaking so boldly and openly, even from prison about the gospel. We just don't know. But somewhere along the way, those believers in Rome saw his behavior from prison and it emboldened them. And it caused them to speak even more so without fear. But there was another group as well. We see this in verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy or rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, but sincerely, uh, sorry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Preachers have egos. Most preachers have big egos. I face it all the time. I repent of it daily. And apparently there were a lot of preachers in Rome who had big egos. And so they had built their churches, they had built followings, and all of a sudden the apostle, the apostle apostles, the greatest church planner ever, shows up in town, and now all 9,000 of the guard know about Jesus. And now their ministry looks rather small and rather insignificant. And so what's their response? Now some of them, out of love for Paul and the gospel, support Paul and preach all the more boldly, while others apparently out of envy for his reputation and rivalry to be better than Paul step up their game as well, but out of bad motives. Now here's where Paul keeps the perspective. Paul could have gotten really upset In some ways, we might, maybe sinfully in our flesh, say he had every right to be upset. But does Paul get upset? No. He said, what then? What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense, which means putting on a a face, pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. This was a man who potentially was about to die. He just didn't care about the little things. On his doorstep was eternity, and he saw in the light of the rewards to come that others not liking him, others wanting to do him harm, just didn't matter why, because the gospel was going forth. Do we have that perspective? Christ kept things in perspective. The glory of his Father and the achievement of our salvation in his earthly ministry, he, he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. How else could he get through all he did? He kept the perspective of our salvation the glory of his father as the impact of the nine tails struck his back again and again. As the crown of thorns were thrust upon his head and the scorn of his people around the cross and ultimately the father's wrath being poured out on him, he kept it in perspective. Why? Because he loved us. There was something more significant and important to him than his physical pain. It was his love for us. For his perspective included Easter. He knew it was coming. A day of hope was coming and it was coming soon. And we too look for the day of hope. Father, we yearn for your return, the return of your son Jesus. Help us to keep that day in perspective. Help us to maintain fidelity to the Lord in hard, dark days. Help us maintain the gospel message of joy and hope. The light has dawned. And one day all these shadows will indeed flee away. Until then, Lord, keep our eyes not only on the cross, but on the empty tomb. That we have hope of being remade and all things being made new. So come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.